Good morning. We're reading from Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. Next week will be the end of our series in the pastoral letters that we've been in for a little over a year, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and now Titus. And so we're uh, winding up, so to speak. Uh, in these epistles, we have found both strong doctrinal exhortations and then very strong practical exhortations as well. And so as we come to the end of uh, this uh, book, we find that he is bringing all together the things that he has been writing about down to his final thoughts so that we can understand what the purpose of this letter is. So would you please uh, stand for the reading of God's word, Titus 3, 1 through 8. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things, that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. Let's always remember that the power resides in God's word. Thank you. And you may be seated. So I'll ask you the same question that I asked the children earlier. Have you ever forgotten anything really important? An anniversary? How many years did it take you to live down that forgetful day? A birthday? A fifth grade graduation? Your child's sporting event, a music recital, a wedding, or even a funeral. I'm sure that we all need to be reminded of things, and we should have been reminded, because we did forget it had negative consequences. You see, some things are so important and life-giving that if we forget, the the consequences really cannot be quantified. 
In fact, it can be a dangerous thing when we forget. Our scripture today, the very first words, is remind them. Now, whenever we say something like remind, that implies that we once knew it. Or at least we heard about it. And now we've forgotten. And what Paul is telling Titus is nothing new. They had heard it before. They understood it. They understood the nature and the application of the truths of the gospel and how we are to live as professing Christ followers. One of the things that Paul um, taught throughout his ministry and is in every letter that he has written and most of all the epistles and even in the gospels of things that Jesus wrote, it has to do with once we have tasted the gospel, we are changed people. We simply cannot hold on to the old idea that salvation is simply a moment in time or simply a prayer or simply a decision. Salvation is transformative. Paul taught it wherever he went. Surely he taught it to the Cretans as well. If you remember, this letter is to the churches uh, on Crete. God's grace leaves us a different person once we have been embraced by it. You might ask, well, how do we know that they were taught that? Because Paul taught it everywhere. Now, having said that, some of us are thinking, Well, I must not be saved because I'm not perfect. Well, see, at the same time that God's kindness and love changes us, there are still forces at work that would cause us to forget. The world bombards us with false messages. And sometimes if we hear it enough, We begin to believe the false message. Our flesh tempts us from within. It promises fulfilling things. And you know what? It's a black hole once we go down those fleshly temptations. And then, of course, there is Satan who will attack us and trap us and entice us. All these are forces that will cause us or tempt us to forget God's grace. See, what happens to us is that there's a battle. We've been changed and have a new nature. Old things are past and gone But we still live in this flesh. 
And we battled it day in and day out, week in and week out, year in and year out, decade and decade out, so to speak. And so here's the question. When will this struggle for living a life worthy of being a Christian, when will that battle end? Well, the answer is clear and simple. When we die. Or when Jesus comes back. I prefer the former. You see, while salvation is powerfully transformational by the power of the Holy Spirit at our conversion, yet this transformation is not complete. It's just started. Most of us are aware of the four important words that are related to the doctrine of salvation. In fact, we study in our discovery class the very first thing, after our introductions and after we get to know each other, the very first thing that we give heed to is the doctrine of salvation. Why? Because if we can understand what salvation really is and what effect it has on us, then that starts us down the road with the most positive and meaningful and purposeful outlook. But if we get salvation wrong, it can almost destroy the rest of our lives. So here are the four important words. You see them, but we're going to make a short explanation of each one. The first is regeneration. We call that the new birth. This is when the work of God's grace comes in and opens our eyes and opens our hearts so that we can see the beauty of Christ and we see the depths of our sin and it causes us to want to repent and turn toward Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. That's regeneration. It's a work of Christ. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. We are dead up until that point. He renews our spirit and we see the truth. Justification. That's a legal term. We are justified before God as a judge and we are acquitted of the penalty for that which we have committed. That is our sin. We have been forgiven because Christ placed on himself Our penalty for our sin. And he gives us his righteousness. We are forgiven. One could say justification is that we are delivered from the penalty of sin. And then there's sanctification. No one likes to really talk about sanctification because this is the painful part of salvation. This is the struggling part. This is the part of the battle And it's a part that we don't want to go through. That's the reason we don't want to talk about it. Sanctification is the process of God making us more like Christ. And he does that 
by driving us. The Holy Spirit is within us, and he drives us to want to be like Christ, while at the same time it goes against our old nature to do it. And that's the battle. Sanctification is to be set apart for God, for the glory of Christ, while we are on this earth. And just like justification was deliverance from the penalty of sin, sanctification is the continual process of being delivered from the power of sin. But we all like to talk about glorification when Jesus comes back and everything is going to be made right. So we like to talk about the new birth because God makes us new. And we like to talk about glorification when we get to heaven. But today we are talking about this sanctification process, which is what we don't want to talk about. Because salvation is more than being made right with God. You see, Paul is concerned about our witness to a world that hasn't faith. They don't have faith. They don't understand who Christ is. They, they don't believe what they read. If they've even read it. And we've heard it said over and over again. Sometimes the only Bible that anyone's going to read is your life and my life. So how we live and the decisions that we make. should impact and will impact others, either positively or negatively. So the question is, how should we respond to those around us who want to turn us back to the old life? I really didn't have to experience that part. Some of of you may have the testimony that you were heavily involved in certain things in life that were... Some people with a church, good church people would call just terrible lives. And then all of a sudden, God changed you. And when you go back and you talk to those people, they go, that won't last long. And so they give you a pass for a few days or a few weeks, but not a few months. Because after a while of you living the way God wants you to live, and you're no longer doing and desiring to do the things that your former friends want to do, then they begin to peel off. They're not going to give you the time of day anymore. And it becomes painful. But for a while, they press you. And you know what? That's really good. Because it proves that either our conversion was real Or it wasn't. Paul's not asking us to live perfect lives, but he is saying that we should live exemplary lives. We should excel in good works and grace. So here are the three things that you are called to remember on. These are the three. If you're going to outline this, this is the three things that we're going to outline. Number one, remember how you now are to act toward others who do not know Christ. How are we to act? William Barclay said about the Cretans, Cretans are notoriously turbulent and quarrelsome and impatient of all authority. 
Polybius, the Greek historian, said of them, they are involved in insurrections, murders, and mutually destructive battles and wars. So let's go through quickly. The first one we're going to hang, uh, uh, hang out a little bit more, and that is the subject of um, being uh, subject to rulers and authorities. Paul lived under the tyranny of Nero. And he wrote these words. We live in a democratic republic. We have a constitution. We're more divided than we've ever been before. And there are those who, if our party is not in power, then I'm going to be rebellious. Paul, living under Nero, the great persecutor of Christians, said that we are to be subject to authority and governments. When they tell us to do something that is against the commands of God, that's when we say we must obey God rather than men. Romans 13, is, verses 1 through 7, is a little long, but again, we need to read them so that we get the full understanding of it. This is a more theological statement about why we're to be subject to governing authorities. Let every person be subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. That includes Nero. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. The rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear, uh, for he does not bear the sword in vain. He is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjugation, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God, attending to do this very thing. Pay to all who uh, what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And then in Peter we read, Be subject to the Lord, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. And you can read the rest. What is the point of this? You might say, but he was killing Christians. Are we to fight back? Even people use Dietrich Bonhoeffer as an excuse. See, he tried to kill 
uh, Hitler. And so we should be like Bonhoeffer because Hitler was being as bad as Nero was. I was in a conference that was led by Dietrich Bonhoeffer's nephew. Thousand people must have been there. And he was asked, how did Bonhoeffer justify trying to kill Hitler as a Christian? And you know what he said? Bonhoeffer never tried to justify why he did it. You know why? Because Bonhoeffer couldn't justify why he did it. Not as a Christian. There are those here in the States who believe that since we are citizens of heaven and God's kingdom is not of this world, we shouldn't be involved in government in this world. We should only preach and teach the gospel. And then there are those with the opposite views, that we should be a part of the political process. And that not only that, but the political process will save America. Right. The founding fathers gave us a path to disagree with good conscience, but to act lawfully. Christians are to be obedient. You might say, well, to whom? Well, the context is really government at this point. In other words, we are not to be lawbreakers or rebellious or revolutionary, so to speak. We're supposed to be ready for every good deed or every good work. Habitat for Humanity is a good example. Disaster relief is a good example. Our Florida Baptist Convention has a motto from the convention to the churches, and it says, right beside you, R-I-G-H-T. Now they have an initiative for churches to be involved. It's called Right Beside You. W-R-I-T-E, and they're they're encouraging Christians to get out of the pew, adults, and become mentors of children who are in the public school system, many of whom have no Christian influence whatsoever. Do you remember when Judah was exiled to Babylon? Here's what Jeremiah told the people to do in Jeremiah 29.7. I don't know if I put it up there or not. I don't think I did. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will have welfare. This is God's word to people who have been uprooted from their home in Judah, have been carried to Babylon to a strange place, and Jeremiah is telling them the same thing that Paul tells us in Romans and here in Titus and Peter in 1 Peter, and that is pray for and don't cause trouble with the government. For it is there for your welfare, even when they want to kill you. 
you might say, I don't understand that. Do you believe that the kingdom of God is greater than any government? Do you believe that the kingdom of God is above and beyond any best scenario of any type of political system? Then you have to believe as well that God's kingdom is above the worst political systems. Christianity thrived under Nero. After we left China, after the revolution, we thought China is now gone. Chinese Christians thrived after we left. We Americans left. God doesn't need political institutions to carry about the kingdom of God. Therefore, we don't need to be fighting political institutions. We're not to speak evil or to malign anyone. I've had to repent of this. Because we should not speak evil even of coaches of our favorite sports teams. We should be peaceable, uncontentious. You're going to love this, guys. You ready? The Greek word for uncontentious is amacho. It means not macho. We are to be forbearing and gentle. We're to be considerate and courteous. This word courteous and consideration comes from the word meekness, which is not weakness, but it is the strength that is under control. It's like a thoroughbred that is now under the control of its rider. It has all the strength that it ever had, but it's focused and it's sensitive toward the master's touch. Now, why are we to be this way? Well, the second thing to remember is that you were once that way. And I was once that way. Before we came to know Christ, he has a list of things that we were like. We, for we ourselves, were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, Passing our days with malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. We thought we were wise before we came to know the Lord. We thought that we were in control when we were disobedient to God. But we were deceived. And not only were we deceived, but we were enslaved. Ravi Zacharias reminds us, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And it's true. There was a time that our lives were full of malice, and we were hateful and hated. We were like our culture. But the third thing to remember is that God intervened. 
Remember that it was God's undeserved kindness and mercy that changed you and me. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing and regeneration and the renewing of his spirit. If we are different, it certainly isn't because of us. We can take no pride in being different. In fact, if we take pride in being different, then we are just as prideful of those outside Christ who are being prideful. Because pride is the root of our sin. The reason we're to be gentle and the reason we're to be kind and courteous is because we need to demonstrate humility when we stand even against our culture. The only thing that we deserve is God's anger and his judgment. And yet with kindness, he didn't simply overlook our sin. He paid for our sin. Our salvation is much more than saying a prayer or making a decision or thinking that we're right with God. It is a life wherein Christ lives in us. We are not our own. We were bought with a price. It's the presence of the Spirit that continues His saving work in us, even though the old nature is still there. Salvation is a continual refining process. And it's sometimes painful. Why can we have this attitude toward others? Yes, because perhaps we were that way. But there's another reason. Do you believe that God wants to accomplish his work even when governments are filled with non-Christians who want to destroy Christians and Christ and his values? Do you believe that he's bigger than that? If we have faith that God is going to work out his will in the big picture, and we submit to him like that, then he will work out his will in our lives. Salvation is much more than being right with God being forgiven. It is a painful yet joyful path to be more like Christ. And two outcomes. Two outcomes. Number one, hopefully the people outside will see it in us and they will be (laughs) they will see Christ.
But the second thing is this. We can say, even so, come, Lord Jesus. We will not be ashamed. Yes, we're saved by grace. It may have been through a prayer and a decision. That's wonderful. I'm glad for you. But salvation is also the Holy Spirit working in us, making us more like Christ. And if we're His, if we're His, we may resist for a little while, but life is going to get pretty hard. So why don't we just say, yes, now. Lord, I submit myself to you. I want to glorify Jesus here on this earth. And if you're present and you don't know the Lord, wouldn't you really like to see authenticity in a congregation? Wouldn't that draw you to Christ better than hypocrisy and rebellion and bad attitudes and a sinful lifestyle? After all, up to now, that's been your excuse, right? But please don't look to us. Look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we ask that you would glorify yourself in this church. That your Holy Spirit would work in our individual lives who are Christ followers and in this church as a whole and in the lives of those who are struggling with belief, that they would see the beauty of Christ and they would be drawn to him. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.